The Bible declares, 1 Samuel 15 and 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Watch what, watch what God says. God says, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry. Look at the response of the prophet, the man of God. The Bible declares he was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. Um, from verses number 13, excuse me, verses number 12 all the way to verses number 33, um, you get this dialogue between Samuel and King Saul. And what's happening here is Saul is, Samuel is delivering the message to King Saul that he has been rejected by God and God is now looking for another man, come on somebody, after his own heart. Understand that there is always forgiveness of sin, but sometimes when sins are forgiven, it doesn't necessarily negate the consequences associated with the sin. Okay, what's the difference? Here it is. Forgiveness of sins has to do with your personhood. God loves you so much, he, he has the ability to overlook what you do because he loves you. Now watch this. But then there are times God loves you, but he knows he can't trust you with this responsibility. So although he embraces you with open arms as a person, when it comes to certain consequences, ah, you might not get another chance for that. And watch this. God rejects him as king, loves him as a person, but because of your consistent disobedience, this, this opportunity to lead my people, I'm now taking it away from you. And the scripture teaches that Samuel grieves. Chapter number 15, verses number 34, the Bible declares, Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel, the Bible declares, grieved over Saul and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So the man of God has pain in his heart to the point when we get to chapter number 16 verses number one, God has to interrupt him and God speaks to Samuel and he says, how long will you grieve over Saul? Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Father, now in Jesus' name, I want to thank you once again for this opportunity to minister the word of God to the people of God. Help me, God, to get completely out of the way, hiding myself now behind the cross that men may not give honor, glory to Greg, but all honor and all glory goes to you. And it is in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen, amen, amen. So we, we begin a brand new series on last week simply entitled Surviving Loss. And this is something that God has been slow cooking in my spirit for the past couple of weeks, maybe maybe few months now, because what he revealed to me concerning not only myself, but countless others that I'm connected to right now is that the world is grieving. The world, the world is grieving. Understand two definitions that we lifted up on last week. The first one was the definition of grief. And we we define grief as one's response to an important loss. It's, it's how you respond. It's, it's how you react to something that you lose. And then we define loss as ceasing to have something that one formerly possessed or to which one was attached. This is why the world is grieving and don't even know that they're grieving. It's because all loss, watch this, give rise to grief. Um, the intensity of the grief may vary, but whenever you experience a loss of any 
any kind, it always gives rise to grief. And many are grieving, as I said before, but don't know they're grieving because they have a limited definition of loss. There are some who define loss simply by a death. I, I lost mom, I lost dad, I lost a spouse, I lost a sibling. But in all actuality, there are some that have just simply lost their norm. And because they have lost normalcy, they are grieving in their spirit right now. And we find the man of God in the book of First Samuel chapter number 15. He is grieving. He hadn't experienced a natural death, but he has experienced loss because there has now been a disconnection between his role and the role of the current king Saul. And the Bible declares Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. Now you got to understand um, the scripture gives us allowance for grief. Let me let me just pause there for a moment. The scripture gives us allowance for grief. Um, the reason I have to highlight that because there are some who feel as though that if you are spiritual enough, then you won't grieve, you won't cry. If you are really connected to God, it won't hurt your heart at all. But the devil is absolutely a liar. That The scripture does not hint to that at all. Matter of fact, the apostle Paul, he writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verses number 13, he gives clarification concerning grief. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed Informed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So the apostle Paul is not, he's not fighting them because they are grieving. He's, he's course correcting them how we grieve as believers. Because when someone dies in the Lord, the Bible declares to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Is that right? So when my brother in the Lord dies, I will see them again. So we don't grieve as if we are people of no hope. Come on, somebody. But we grieve in hope and great expectation that we will see the Lord and we will see our brothers and sisters again. Can you say amen right there? So let me slow down just for a moment and I want to lift two more definitions concerning grief. And I thought this was very, very interesting. These two, these two opposing um, styles of grieving, one is known as an intuitive griever as opposed to the other an instrumental griever. An intuitive griever is one who expresses grief through feelings or external effect as opposed to an instrumental griever who expresses grief through cognition or activity. And this is the problem when it comes to grieving. Either you're in one extreme where you try to demonize somebody as not being spiritual because they are expressing their feelings and their emotions, or you yourself are grieving and you demonize somebody else because their grief style is different from yours. Now, in this example, an instrumental griever is one, again, they're going to cry a lot, they're going to express feelings, they're going to express emotions, whereas an instrumental griever, this individual, they may cry, but they're not going to cry a whole lot. No, 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 no. They're going to get busy. Their mind is going to be rolling on how can I fix this? How, what can I do? They're going to become very, very active. And I'll give you a prime example. My wife, my wife and I, many of you guys know, we lost our first son years, years ago. And my wife is more of an intuitive griever, whereas I'm more of an instrumental, instrumental griever. When we, lost, when we lost Robert, my wife was really, really affected emotionally her feelings, and she cried a lot. Because I'm an instrumental griever, I did cry, but watch this. I felt the same pain, watch this, 
but I expressed it a different way. I expressed it through cognition and activity. I got real busy and I started, I started filling my life with a bunch of activity. Both of us was experiencing the same pain, but we expressed it differently. And because we didn't have an understanding of this fundamental concept, we demonized each other because we expressed grief differently. She looked at me and she says, you must don't care about our son because you're not crying. And I looked at her and said, you care about him more than me because you're crying too much. Come on, somebody. We, we both grieved. We both had pain, but we expressed it differently. And this is my point that I want to get to. When you rob somebody of the right to grieve, yes, when, when you, because they grieve differently from you or because you have this super inflated idea that spiritual people don't cry or grieve, you force people into what's known as complicated bereavement. I want to take my time. Complicated bereavement. And I'm defining complicated bereavement as this, the intensification of grief to the level where the person is either overwhelmed, resorts to maladaptive behavior, or remains stuck in the state of grief with little progression towards completion. Now, understand the purpose of grief. Understand the purpose of mourning. I believe just like anger and every other emotion that God has given us, he gave us these emotions and expressions for a particular person. And God gives us this process of mourning because what mourning does, it helps you to emotionally regulate yourself to live life after loss. I want to help somebody. I'm going to say that again. Grief, the purpose of mourning, the purpose of grieving is for you to emotionally regulate yourself so that you can get to a place where you can experience life even after a loss. But what happens, sometimes we become stuck in the midst of grief and we can't go on with our lives. We can't move on with our lives. We can't fulfill our God-given purpose because we are stuck in the midst of grief. When we look at the man of God, this prophet Samuel, we see a man of God. He is currently right now in this text. He is stuck in grief. At verse number 11, the Bible declares that he was angry with the Lord. And the Bible declares that he cried all night. When we get to 35, he's still grieving. The Bible declares he grieved over this relationship. And understand, oh my God, before I go into that, I want to talk about two types of grief again. Yeah, two types of loss. I want to talk about a primary loss and a secondary loss. A primary loss is the loss of the thing, the object of your affection when it's the person that died it's the opportunity that you lost but then you have what's called a secondary loss a secondary loss is everything that's tied to the primary loss so when I lost Jan that was a primary loss that that detachment from that relationship was a primary loss but I didn't know the hidden loss that were around me called secondary loss as an example I had my birthday a couple of weeks ago and Jan would always call on my birthday and sing happy birthday to me uh, around Christmas time I'm going to experience another hidden secondary loss because Jan would send Christmas cards in November to make sure that hers was special than everybody else's. These hidden losses that you don't even recognize are there. The man of God has experienced not only a primary loss, the loss of the relationship with Saul, but he's also experiencing hidden loss, secondary losses because there were other things that was connected to the king. And the men of God is grieving to the point that God has to interrupt him. In 1 Samuel chapter number 16, he says, Samuel, how long will you grieve? I don't have a problem with you grieving. I don't have a problem with you becoming angry. I don't have a problem with you expressing your feelings and your, concerning, uh, your concerns about this loss. I do have a problem with you not moving forward and becoming stuck in the midst of your grief. So I pose the question today. Y'all, man, y'all rock with me today. Please, please stay with me. 
How does one become stuck in grief? Yeah, because that's what some of you guys are right now. Yeah, you, you, you've lost, you, you've lost. Some of you guys are grieving, and, and, and again, um, you don't define yourself as a griever because you don't connect your grief with the loss. You, you only see loss as death. Mom passed, dad passed, sister passed, brother passed, I had a child that passed, so forth and so on. But in all actuality, again, all loss gives rise to grief. And there are many of you guys that are grieving right now, and you're stuck in the midst of your grief. And there are some of you guys that realize, I'm stuck. I am not coming to completion. I am, I am not, even in the midst of the pandemic, I have not made the mental adjustment, the emotional adjustment of walking in the store with the mask. I know you grieve it. You grieve, you mad. You mad at the governor. You mad at the president. You mad at me for saying it right now. I understand you grieving, but you might be, you might be stuck. So the question is, how does one become stuck in grief? I want to help, help a couple of people today. If you're taking notes, jot this down. One of the ways, one of the ways, one of the ways that people enter into complicated mourning where they become stuck in grief is through destructive meditation. I'm going to let that marinate for a moment. Destructive, destructive, destructive meditation. Look at what the scripture has to say about meditation. In the book of Psalms, chapter number one, excuse me, Psalms one, verses one, the Bible declares, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight, whoo, that's so good, is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he, there it is, there it is, meditate day and night. In, in his law, in the word of God, does he meditate day and night. And because this man of God chooses to meditate Verse 3 is the fruit of his meditation. Verse 3 declares, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. These are the benefits of his meditation. Now let's give a practical definition to meditation. Meditation simply means to mentally rehearse through constant sight, hearing, or imagining. It's, it's, it's what you mentally rehearse through sight, through hearing, through constant imagination. It's meditation. And, and the writer says when you take time to meditate on the word of God, that there are three benefits. You become planted, you become fruitful, and you become prosperous. When you choose to put your mind on what God said about the situation as opposed to meditating on what happened in the situation. I want to help somebody just for a moment. Let me give you examples of scriptures that, that proper meditation brought about good fruit. In the book of Luke chapter number 22 verses number 19, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and he has a conversation with his disciples. And he, the Bible declares, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, now press pause just for a moment. Jesus is prepping the disciples for what they're getting ready to see. They're getting ready to see a bloody, naked Messiah hanging on the cross with spikes in his hands, spikes in his feet, crown of thorns on his head. Come on, somebody. Spike in his side. They're getting ready to see a horrific view of the man that they love. But Jesus says, as we approach this hour, come on, somebody. When you think about what happened on the cross, don't think about the 
the sight of what you saw, but I want you to mentally rehearse the meaning of what I did on the cross. When you do this, think of me. Do this in remembrance of the meaning of what I did. Don't focus on the actual sight of what happened on the cross. Can you say amen there? Let's go a little bit deeper in Deuteronomy 34 and 5. The Bible speaks concerning the death of Moses. The scripture declares, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. When we get to Joshua chapter number one, the very next book, the Bible declares, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am given to them, to the people of Israel. Now, now we highlighted again primary loss and secondary loss. So Joshua experiences primary loss when Moses died. They had a personal relationship, a connection. Moses was the man that God chose to lead the children of Israel. Joshua was his assistant and soon to be successor. Um, so there's a primary loss when Moses died, but not only is there a primary loss, there's also a secondary loss. There are certain responsibilities that, Joe's, that uh, 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 Joshua just did not have because Moses was in place. Matter of fact, this was Moses' uh, mindset concerning leadership. He says, I'm going to give you guys certain tasks and responsibilities to handle, and I'm going to trust you with those responsibilities. But when it comes to the hard task, don't worry about it. Bring that to me. So Joshua had the pleasure of being number two where he did his responsibility but whenever something tough came across he would hand that over to Moses but he's in a bad situation now because not only has he had experienced a primary loss with with Moses but all of this hard stuff that Moses handled now it falls upon my shoulder so this is what God has to do God does God encourages his heart number one with promises in verse number four of chapter number one of Joshua the Bible declares every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give it to you, just as I promised to Moses. He gives him another promise in verse number five. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. He gives him another promise in, in verse number six. Be strong and courageous, for you shall. That's so powerful. He says, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. He gives him a bunch of promises to encourage Joshua that everything is going to be okay. But watch this. In order for these promises to be fulfilled, there's, there's a caveat. Yeah, this is what I'm promising. This is what I'm laying before you. But there's something that I need you to do. And if you don't do this, even though I promised you these things, they'll fall to the ground just like they fell to the ground in the life of your mentor. There's something that I need you to do. In verse number eight, the Bible declares this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall, somebody just type meditate, meditate, meditate on it day and night. And if you meditate, look at the B part of verse number eight, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So Moses died. That's a primary loss. And, and all the responsibilities that Moses would normally have have fallen on my shoulders. And, and God is saying to Joshua, if if you continue to think about and meditate and mentally rehearse 
on all the pressures that has fallen on your shoulders, it's going to cause you to crumble in the midst of your leadership. So, so before I move forward, let me just clarify this. I'm not telling you not to think about the loss. I'm challenging you that there are certain things that you can't afford to meditate on concerning the loss. L let me give you an example. Um, so so uh, many of you guys know in 2017, I lost one of my uh, older sisters, Jan, and um, as soon as I got the news, because I'm, I'm an instrumental griever, did I cry? Yeah, I cried. Not a lot. Not a lot. And, and even when I did cry, I mean, I got it out the way and I kept moving. I'm an instrumental griever. The way I process grief is through cognition and activity. I usually find myself busy. I'm, I'm doing something. So as, as soon as she, soon as she passed, um, I, I got busy. Let's, I, I got eulogies. I got two eulogies to preach. I got services to plan. I remember as I'm, as I'm message, prep, message prepping for her service, I remember just thinking to myself, I want to make you proud, Jan. I want to I wanna minister such a message that if you were looking down, you'd smile because the way I'm delivering and the response of the people and, and all that's going to happen in the service because of, because of this occasion. I, I moved into cognition and activity. Um, and I processed well, I processed well, but several months later, several months later, I started having a very, very hard time, very, very difficult time. I scheduled some time with my counselor and I went up there to talk to him and, and so he could help me to process through some things because I thought it was just the fact that I was grieving Jan's laws, but it was more than that. See what, what happened about a month prior to her, her death, um, I had a conversation with Jan and it wasn't a good conversation. It was a very heated conversation. Uh, now, when I say heated, I'm not talking about dumb stuff where we calling each other out of names and all that. No, that, uh, we, we were a lot more mature than that. Um, I had a very, very strong opinion about family matters and family business. She had a very strong opinion that was the complete opposite of what I had. And she wasn't backing down and I wasn't backing down. It wasn't, it wasn't a pretty conversation. And then when I saw her two weeks later, um, it still wasn't good. We tried to be cordial, but by the end of the time of us coming together, um, it, it wasn't good. Matter of fact, the night that she, she left, uh, we were supposed to have a family outing. We were supposed to do something fun, but uh, everybody was just in turmoil. I was upset. She was upset. Everybody in the house was just upset. So she decided to leave, uh, leave early. The night we were supposed to get together, she, she booked, rebooked her flight and left that night. And so the last image of my sister is her taking her bag, leaving the house, half speaking. Matter of fact, I have to speak to her before, before she even speaks. If, maybe if I didn't say nothing, she possibly would have left the house and not have said anything at all. So this is, this is what happened, man. Um, I, I went, I, I, I grieved, I did grieve, and, and I was processing the loss okay. But I found myself several months later having a very, hard, complicated time. And the reason I was having a hard, complicated time is because the only thing that I thought about was the last conversation I had with her and the last time I saw her. I continued to mentally rehearse the anger and the frustration in the conversation and the disappointment that I felt in her and she that I believe that she felt in me based on our, our disagreement and I chewed on that, and I chewed on that. And watch this. Whatever the object of your uh, meditation is, it will always manifest materially and spiritually. 
naturally my life was becoming chaotic I was finding distance between me and God that's why the scripture declares as a man thinketh as he choose to mentally rehearse as he thinketh in his heart so is he and my life was becoming chaotic destructive because I had destructive meditation and there are some of you guys right now you are suffering yeah yeah let me, let me just talk about the grievers right now the grievers there's some of you guys you're grieving and lost and you are stuck in the midst of your grief because you have destructive meditation and here is the crazy part I thought about that as if it was nothing good at all to think about concerning me and Jan man we had some great times we had some crazy times matter of fact when I was growing up I wanted to be my big sister I never forget and it was in the 90s when when uh boys to me and that was her favorite singing group and and um Boys to Men, in one of the videos, they had on these Jabot shorts with some high-tech boots uh, with, the, with the shirt like this and a tie. And so Jan, Jan wore the Jabot shorts, high-tech boots, and, and tie and all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to be like my big sister, and I could fit her clothes. So the next week, I wore the outfit that she wore. But I got picked at and ragged at school. I wanted to be like my big sister, man. We had some great times. But what I cho chose to meditate on was all the negativity. And there's some of you guys right now. I need you to hear the words that are coming out of my mind. There are some of you guys right now. It's not just affecting loss or death. But there are some of you guys, your relationships could be a whole lot better if you wouldn't have destructive meditation in the midst of your relationship. You could be closer to your wife than what you really are. But out of all the good things that they do, you seem to only highlight and remember the negative things that they do. You could have a better relationship with, with your children. You could have a better relationship with your parents. You could have, you could have a better relationship. On, things on your job could be a whole lot easier if you would choose to switch your meditation. And it's not that you ignore problems. It's not that you don't deal with situations because you have to deal with problems as they arrive. But after dealing with the problem, I don't have to spend the next seven days mentally rehearsing the troubles come on somebody that was caused by the situation by the person no I choose to rehearse the good and not the destructive so I had to change my meditation although I was sorry although I was although I was hurting I chose not to continue to rehearse that and I started putting my thoughts on the good things the great things about our relationship and I'm telling you guys, there's some of you right now, you were, matter of fact, ju just, just help me. Go, go ahead and confess. If I'm talking to you, if I'm talking to you and you're one of the ones that I'm, and you're saying I'm stuck and you, you know you're stuck, just type, I'm stuck. Come on, it, it's a community. We all family. We ain't going to judge you. We love you. I'm confessing that I, at, there was a point that I was stuck. And there's some of you guys right now, you were stuck. Go ahead and just, just type it. I, Pastor, I'm stuck. I want you to confess it because I want to help you. And the reason that many of you guys are stuck is because you have destructive, your mind won't let you come out. But I'm telling you today, the devil is absolutely a liar. You getting ready to see when it comes to when it comes to mentally rehearsing, it's it's what you have to do. There's no angel from heaven that's going to come down and touch your thoughts. No, no, no. You don't need God to touch your thoughts. You need to change your thoughts. Can somebody say amen right there? And once I change the object of my meditation, things changed in my life. Samuel, the Bible declares, 1 Samuel chapter number 16, verses number 1. I'm done. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? 
God gave him time to grieve. God gave him time to express himself, whether he was an intuitive or an instrumental griever. I don't know more, more than likely an intuitive griever. Um, God gave him time, but God looked down from heaven and saw that my son and my servant is stuck. He's dying with what has died. But the devil is a liar because I'm not done with him. So he has to confront him. And that's what today is. Today is a cognitive interrupt for many of you guys. And just like God asked Samuel, how long will you grieve? I'm challenging you today. How, how long you going to grieve? How, how long? I'm not tripping that you grieved. I'm not tripping that you are grieving. I'm tripping that you stuck. And that the fact of the matter is that there is life after loss. There is life. There's life. There's life. There's life. There's life after loss. So how long will you grieve? He was challenging him because he was stuck in the midst of his grief. So this is what God says to him. How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Look at the B part. Look at the B part. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king amongst his son. Now, I, I may deal with this in another week or so. The, the object is not for the loss to be replaced in order for him to be okay. No, 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 no. So, and, and that's what some of you guys go wrong. Um, I've, I've seen people go through divorce and they try to get married a month from now. I've, I've seen that. I, I've seen people say stupid stuff like you lose a child and and, and somebody come to you and say, well, you got three more kids. I mean, what that got to do with the child I just lost? You, 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 lost, you lose a baby in your 20s, and they're like, well, you're young enough, baby, you can have another one. What? Come on, somebody. Greg Jr. didn't replace Robert. <laughs> I love my son. Absolutely. But I don't believe that God sent him as a replacement to the child that I lost. No. I had to go through a grieving process over the loss of my son. And this is what God says. He's not giving a replacement mentally and emotionally for the prophet. He's refocusing his mind and giving him direction of what you should be meditating on. And this is the object of your meditation, Samuel. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his. I want you, instead of rehearsing what your laws, I want you to rehearse what I am planning to do in your life right now. And things turned around for the prophet. Last scripture and I'll get out of here. Philippians chapter number four, verses number eight. The scripture declares, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any, if any praise, the Bible declares, Ooh, think, think on these things. I want to help you. I want to help you in the midst of grieving, in the midst of grieving. And I know many of you guys are right now. You need to refocus your thoughts. So, Pastor, do you ever think about Jan? Do, do you ever think about her? Let me tell you. There had, there's not a day that goes by. I don't think about her. I'm serious. There is not one single day that goes by. I don't think about her. If for no other reason, because of the picture of her and of myself that I keep in my office or my bookshelf. And because I study every day, I go in there every day, I see the picture. And when I see the picture, it reminds me. And I don't even have to see the picture because I, I love her. Because I miss her. I think about her. But what I don't do, I, 
I don't choose to meditate on all the negativity. And it's not all. It's just the destructive part of our relationship. And I'm better because of it. And I'm telling you today, this is a cognitive interrupt. I'm telling you today that if you would change your meditation, you'll walk out of bondage, my friend. There's not a devil to rebuke here. No, 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 no. There's not a devil to rebuke. You have control over your thought life. You have control over your mind. And when you choose to switch, something is going to switch on the inside of you. I love you today and I want to pray for you. Yeah. If this message was for you today and you hear the Spirit of God challenging you concerning destructive meditation, be it over the loss of somebody or just a relationship that has gone sour, you choose to only mentally rehearse what you didn't like about the relationship as if there was nothing good about it. If that's you, just say, this, this is me, Pastor. I want you to pray for me today. That's, Pastor, that's me. This word, I needed to hear this word. You were talking to me today. Come on, come on, come on, come on. I want to hear, I want to see it. This is audience participation. If you were in the audience, I'd tell you, lift your hands. Lift your hand. Since that, <laughs> somebody just lifted their hands. But, but since you're not here, participate. That's me, Pastor. So I want to help you today. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, now in the name of the Lord Jesus, God, I love you. And I want to thank you, God, for loving us so much. I want to thank you, Father, that even in how you choose to use me, Father, you, you choose to use me to focus on where the people currently are and where you want them to be. Not just a historical preacher as if I'm a professor just going through a syllabus, but what you choose to do in me, Father, is spend time identifying where people are and bringing messages that are relevant to where they are now, where they're going. And Father, there are many right now that are suffering in their hearts in their minds. There are some that are even experiencing physical symptoms of a broken heart. And it's all because of poor, destructive meditation. But God, I thank you on today. Mm, thank you, Jesus. You won't make us think a certain way, neither will you allow the enemy to control how we think. But you've given us free will and the choice today to think on those things that are lovely, pure, true, of good report. You, you've given us the choice. And today, I choose to think on those things. If that's you, come on, put that in the chat. I choose to think according to the promises of God. Just put that. Come on. I, choo I choose to think according to the promises of God. That's what he told Joshua. I'm going to bless you with this. I'm going to open this door. I'm going to cause you to possess the land. But if you're going to do it and my, my promise will not fail in your life, Joshua, meditate on what I have said. So, Father, now in the name of Jesus, I ask you to forgive us all, Father, for allowing 
these negative destructive thoughts to consume our lives to the place where we have forfeited being used of you. We have become stuck in the midst of, forgive us, Father, ah, for a place in our feelings and our emotions over your will. Choose today, God, we choose to become unstuck, to step out, and to fulfill your will for our lives. I speak a blessing over the people. I speak a blessing over their lives now. I speak a blessing over their lives now. Jesus' mighty name. John, come on and just lift us in worship just for a moment. Come on, everybody. Let's go. Let's go to that place. Let's go to that place. Thank you, Jesus. I lift my hands in total adoration unto you. You reign on the throne, for you are God and God alone. Because of you, my cloudy days are gone. I can sing to you. Just one more. 